0: Good morning. My name is Kathy Connor, and I am so honored to be one of the pastors here at First Prez, where you can come as you are. Because a moment with Jesus in worship changes everything. And on Sunday mornings, when we gather together like this, it doesn't matter unless it changes us, unless it meets us on Monday. So it is our hope that you will go deeper in your relationship with Jesus, or that you will discover what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And if you're new to First Pres, welcome. And we invite you to go on the website after worship, fill out a connect card so that we might encourage you, pray for you, and help you get more connected in. I also want to invite all of you online especially to share the service on Facebook, so that others can worship with us as well this morning. As a way of creating a touchless, safe experience, we invite you, if you need to leave the sanctuary, to exit through the back doors at the center of the church in the very middle, or use this door just adjacent to the piano. And at the end of the worship service, kindly remain in your pew until an usher comes to get you. Please pray with me now. Heavenly Father, we need you. Lord, we need your grace. We need your leadership in our lives. Lord, we are navigating things that are too big for us, too difficult to understand, too hard to manage as news is coming at us every day that we can barely keep up with, with changing ways of doing everything, yet on top of that, we're trying to love on our families, live out our purpose in our businesses as students, as fathers and mothers and husbands and wives. Lord, all that. It is so clear to us how much we need your goodness and grace filling us up so that we have something to give, so that we can walk in wisdom, so that we can navigate this time in our world with grace and trust. Oh, Jesus, there are people in our lives that we care for who are struggling. Some are struggling with grief. Others are dealing with loneliness, illnesses, and difficulties of all kinds. So, in the silence of our hearts, we lift them up to you now by name. Lord, we also give thanks and celebrate the birth of little baby Abigail to Jorge and Sandra, who care for us every week in this church, keeping our building clean. Lord, they serve and love you and love us. We ask that you bless this family who have indeed blessed our lives. Lord, you tell us, don't be afraid. Let your hearts be not troubled trust in me, believe in me, over and over again, Lord, you tell us these words and yet we're tempted to not believe, we're tempted not to trust we're tempted to stay in a place of fear move us move us away from that that is not of you, God and help us to walk towards you this morning run towards you lean in towards you with our hearts and our minds as we worship you, as we sing with all of our hearts. Amen.
1: Good morning, First president I'm gonna ask you to stand up. This is a song we've done, Good Grace. You know this one, so let's sing it out. with us. singing. This next song is called God So Loved, and it's taken right out of John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So I love that this song points right to that verse. So let's sing this to him, God So Loved.
0: you enough for all of you that have signed up to be a part of the Dream Team, what we're calling Sit One, Serve One, meaning sit during one worship service and serving during the other. We still have a few needs, however, and I want to share them with you now. We need eight more people at the 9 a.m. service to serve on the hospitality team, and during the 10.30 a.m. service. We need two people who are willing to be online ambassadors. This means that your role would be uh, speaking into the chat line. As people are online, they're gonna ask questions. You'll have the opportunity to answer those questions or to bring forward the scripture that is being shared, to uh, lift up a point that's being made during the sermon, or just engage with folks. So you're an ambassador. We also need two people that will work the camera. So thank you for prayerfully considering the remaining pieces that we need to fill out our entire dream team. Did you know that there are 15 million Christians in the United States who are not registered to vote? 15 million. In Galatians chapter six, the apostle Paul said this, Whenever you have the opportunity, do good. Voting is a way of putting our faith into action and doing good. In the state of Florida, voter registration deadline is October 5th. And in a world that would be tempted to tell you that one vote doesn't matter, it does matter because every life is of infinite value and worth to God. I also get to tell you about life groups. Life groups are small groups with a big impact. We were not created to do life on our own. And now more than ever, we need that sense of community. We need to be connected to each other and to the Lord. And so if you long for authenticity in your relationship with God and with other people, I invite you to go to the website, scroll through, look at the life groups, take a step of faith, go for it, try it, because I want you to experience why we keep saying that life is better connected with each other and with Him. If you've ever wondered about the impact of your giving back to God, of your generosity, I want you to listen now to a grateful heart who wrote a thank you note to all of you. His name is Frank. We met him through our ministry called Matthew 25, which reaches men and women who are homeless and hungry. As a church, we were able to help Frank find a job, a great job, find a place to live in the garage apartment of a member of our church, and then fill his home with household goods and furniture, everything that he would need to thrive. Listen to his thank you to you. Dear Reverend Fitz and Reverend Kathy and the whole church, I want to thank you so much for playing a major part in helping me with all that you have done May God continue to be the father to all of you. Blessings, Frank. You are indeed having an impact on the city of Tampa one life at a time. And here are five ways that you can continue to bless and be blessed by your generosity.
1: I'm gonna invite you back up to stand on this next one. I wrote this song over the summer, uh, and it took me three months to get this one written. Uh, I don't know if you're like me during all this and that's going on in our world, but I, I just couldn't get my thoughts together. It's like I'd sit down to write, and nothing came. And it's amazing how I was actually. I told McLean, I said, "I'm ready to give up on this one. I don't think it's gonna happen." And she said, "Keep trying." And um, Shortly after, it was like the words just came, and the melody came, and I knew that God had put this in my heart. And so the message of the song it's called, Jesus, I Give You My Heart. And in this time in our world, if you're going through some hard stuff, um, just like we all are, um, I, I pray that this song would draw you to that place where you can give Jesus your heart and say, Lord, this is all I have to give. And so I, I'm going to sing it for you now. Uh, join me as soon as you feel comfortable singing it. And this one goes to you.
2: the heart.
3: Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Ben. Awesome. Hey! I want you to know something. I've had just a teeny bit to eat this morning, way early, and I'm going to do everything I can to make you hungry right now. And As soon as I finish telling you about this sandwich that you're going to want, what you need to know is you can't go get one because the place is closed. But my favorite sandwich that I'd like to have for breakfast that I want to tell you about right now, it's called an early riser. Anybody had an early riser at Wright's Gourmet? Yeah, a few of you around the room. Now, here's, let me tell you about the sandwich. It works this way: Cuban bread, and here's the way I like it. Slather it with butter. I'm not talking about margin, I'm talking about butter. I'm talking about heart-stopping, cholesterol-laden. Get to the stuff in here. Slather it and make it nice and golden toasty brown. Don't smash it, but just toast it. Okay, that's the way I like that. And then the early riser in it is three scrambled eggs, crispy bacon. I've often been known to say extra bacon and extra crispy. And then provolone. They normally put cheddar. I, I prefer provolone. So you take your Cuban toast, crispy. You got it on top of scrambled eggs, provolone, and bacon. And then another piece of Cuban bread underneath it, holding it up underneath the bottom, right? A sandwich, a breakfast sandwich. Now, I like to smash it myself. I don't want them to put one of those things on it. And here's what I want you to realize what happens to you with that sandwich. You take a big bite out of it, and the ingredients start going back and forth, like the, the butter and the flavor and the texture of the bread mixes up. It doesn't bother me one bit to get some provolone stringing off of my mouth as I bite the thing, you know. And then you're looking around, you're pulling it with your finger to get it apart. I, that's how I like to eat that sandwich. And then so the juice from the bacon leaks up into the bread. Ooh, ooh, ooh is that good? Huh? You're hungry right now, aren't you? I don't. I, it's closed. You can't go there, so never mind. But that sandwich, like notice the bread infiltrates the sandwich, the eggs and the bacon and the cheese, and the bacon, eggs and the cheese, they infiltrate the bread, and all of it just becomes one great big, huge, gigantic thing. And that's how I want you to think about what we're doing this morning because we're going to have a Mark sandwich. Yes, as in the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that's, that's the beginning of the New Testament, telling us the story the Gospels are about Jesus and how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's presence and God's promises and how the whole thing is a unified story. The Gospel of Mark is about what God has done for us all in Jesus. That's what it's about. And so today we're going to see in this Mark sandwich two or three episodes that they start infiltrating each other and what you and I are going to do is take one big bite out of them and we're going to realize that what's happening is we're going to begin to see that stuff in our life that scares us, petrifies us, can't block us because Jesus won't let it. We can see through our fear, through our difficulty, through our pain, through our confusion and we can see Jesus and our fear can become faith. Now. In our run through the Book of Mark, and you look up here at the image and you see the athlete running, I want you to notice that we've been saying several things are going on. And you'll let that. The reason we have an athlete running is because Mark sort of runs through things. And if you compare him to Luke or to John or to Matthew, they all take a little more time in each of the episodes. But Mark is just going fast. He gets to the same point. He finishes at the same place. So we've been saying this. We've been saying in the book of Mark, there are three themes that we see seeping back and forth into the sandwich. We've said we see the mighty Messiah. That's Jesus himself. And Mark is trying to say that Jesus is just more than just an ordinary person. He's Messiah. He's the anointed one. And we're also seeing that in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is saying about God's presence, God's reign, God's rule, or use the biblical word God's kingdom, has come in a new way in the person of Jesus. And then the third part, the thing that we see over and over again, is our response to all of that. If the mighty Messiah is on the scene, if God's kingdom is breaking into our experience, into the world, into our personal lives, how do we respond? And the third theme we've been identifying, we're calling it daring discipleship. And discipleship means simply just following Jesus. And daring suggests that there's risk, there's courage, there's bravery. You just keep moving forward, sometimes when you're afraid, even. Sometimes when the circumstances are very, very difficult, And there may be some right now in your life. There's stuff that's hard. We've also identified a key verse. And the key verse is Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And see if you can notice the way the ingredients of those three themes are sort of working back and forth. Just like that big bite I just took of that early riser. The for even the son of man, Jesus talking about himself, Mark 10 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus in that key verse is talking about himself as mighty Messiah and the inbreaking of the kingdom, but he's saying this is how we do it, giving his life as a ransom for many. And so that's the sandwich that we want to take a look at this morning and and watch the way that all of these themes are working through this episode in Jesus' life. And so that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to see Jesus at work. We're going to see the mighty Messiah. We're going to sense God breaking in, and we're going to hear how we can respond with the courage, the daring that Jesus wants from us as followers. So we go to Mark chapter 5. Verses 21 through, and we're going to read 21 through 43. So let's start. And here we have Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of a lake. So he's crossing a lake, the Sea of Galilee, if you've ever been over there. And I would suggest to you, you just put yourself on Ballast Point and think about making your way over to Davis Island. Maybe that's not an unfair kind of realistic kind of dimension. That's about the deal. So he moves his way from one side of the lake over to the other, right? A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. In other words, he gets to the other side, he gets out of the boat, and there are a bunch of people around. And that's the way it works with Jesus. Now, Jesus is at the very north end of the Sea of Galilee. It's a little town, less than 1,000 people. So don't think large crowd. Don't think 70,000. Don't think that. Think 50, 80,000. Because see, in those days, that would be a big crowd. There was no TikTok, there was no Instagram, there was no way of knowing what was going on anywhere else other than word of mouth. And so the way that people found out about things was talking about it. And so people have been hearing about Jesus doing stuff. And any time he gets anywhere, the word spreads pretty quickly and people show up. But let it be a crowd that's consistent with the nature of that environment. So it's it's a small town. For you and me, it would be a village. And then 30, 50, 80, 100 people are hanging around listening to him. And it would feel and seem like a crowd. And so that's what Mark means with us there. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. Synagogue leader. What that means is this. In this little town, the Jewish people would meet together in a room. If it's okay with you, I'll call it their church. And they would meet together, and he's a leader of that. It doesn't mean he's clergy like I am. That's not what he is. He's a regular person, a responsible, important person because he's one of the leaders, but he's been picked by the other people to make sure that he does his job and his job is to make sure that they sort of have a good religious experience there in the room, that they do it well. It's sort of like what we have here. We have people that you have elected to be what we call the session. It's 12 people and they're regular people. None of them are clergy. Kathy and I are clergy. They're just regular people followers of Jesus, and their job is to make sure we do our job well here Not in everything we do as a church. So that's what this is. He's one of them. Another important thing you need to understand about Jairus. Jairus has been warned from corporate. That's Jerusalem by the leaders. He's been saying, whatever you do, Jairus, don't go anywhere near this itinerant guy. His name is Jesus. He's from that little town called Nazareth. Don't go near him. Do not get sucked into the vortex of what he's saying and doing. He's violating all of our policies. He does things he's not supposed to do and he doesn't do things he's supposed to do. He is not good. But if you're around him, take notes because we're gonna get him. And in fact, Mark has already told us in a previous chapter, us being today in chapter five, that they'd already planned to execute him. And of course they succeed later on, temporarily. So Jairus, a man of significance, A man who's been told not to mess with Jesus, and then catastrophe strikes. Look what happens next. He sees Jesus and runs and falls at his feet. Now, again, remember, an important person, a person of substance, a person who's been warned not to go near this guy, but something's going on with him because he dashes to Jesus, and, and what had to be humiliating for him plops down right in front of Jesus. Look what happens next. He pleads earnestly with Jesus. My little daughter... Is dying. My little daughter is dying. Jairus is desperate. He casts aside all the other things that would keep anybody in, in, in his kind of position from going near this itinerant person, this person, Jesus. He puts all that aside because he's heard, like other people have heard, that Jesus has been doing some unbelievable things, and he wants his little girl to be well. She's dying. Please come, put your hands on her. He's been hearing that Jesus touches people. Put your hands on her and she will be healed and will live. And look at Jesus' response. He goes with him. Jesus says, okay, and off they go back to Jairus' home. Let's let that be the Cuban bread. That's the first slice, okay? That's the top of the sandwich. Now we're headed into the scrambled eggs, bacon, and provolone. Unless, of course, you supplied cheddar for your sandwich, which is also fine. Here we go. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Well, again, we've already made that point, that Jesus seemed to constantly attract large numbers of people. And a woman was there in the crowd who had been subject to bleeding for for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Just notice here a woman, she is hemorrhaging and she's broke. And nothing that she has done and none of the medical assistance she sought has helped. And in fact, her condition is worsened. She just is not getting well. She also is desperate. Jairus, desperate. A woman, desperate. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. A couple of things that you need to understand. The woman was not allowed to go around people because in this almost cruel kind of understanding of of things, A person who is in her condition is considered socially and religiously unclean, and she can't be around people. She's not allowed. Guess what? They wouldn't let her in the church. She wasn't allowed to go in the building because she was considered to be unpure. So here's what she's doing. She's so desperate, having been ostracized and humiliated, and she's in pain and she's broke, she has nothing left that she can do. This is her last chance. She goes into a crowd. That's a violation of all the rules from corporate. And she's touching people. Guess what happens when this unclean person touches you? You're no longer clean. You can't go to the church either. And then she touches Jesus. No matter what they say in Jerusalem, the head of home office about who he is, everybody knows there's something special about this guy. And she touches him. Wow. If I just touch his clothes, she thinks... I will be healed. Here's her, in her mind, a person who was ostracized, lonely, left out of everything, broke, just just distraught and desperate. She's thinking, if I just sneak in and maybe get close to him, I'll get healed, and then I can sneak out. She wants no attention brought to herself. Why? Because all the attention she ever gets is negative. People just make her feel bad about who she is. She gets left out of everything. I've been wondering, was she making the decision to try to get to Jesus by herself? And if you'll allow me a little editorial privilege here, I think not. There's nothing in the story that tells us what I'm about to say is the case, but I'm just gonna wish it's the case. I think she was in a life group. And I think her friends, maybe it was just a little group, two or three or four, and I think they loved her. And I think they said to her, you got to get to Jesus. And she's going to say back, there's no way. People won't let me near them. And I think that her friends got her there. There. Nobody can do life alone. Everybody needs somebody. We're all wired to need each other. Everybody needs to be known. Everybody needs to be cared for. And I'm just hoping that that's the case with this woman so that she had friends in spite of all of her problems and her ritual and religious uncleanness that they kept near her and they nudged her and prompted her maybe to go to Jesus. If I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. Now, suffering. She's physically suffering, but oh, is there a whole other new life, a new world going to happen to a person who not only physically is sick, but can't be around people and has no friends or only one or two or three in her life group. They won't let her around each other. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. Now, remember, we, we're making a sandwich out of this and we're in the middle of the eggs and the bacon and the cheese, but notice how we're beginning to see some stuff, Jairus' story. He's afraid. And he runs to Jesus trembling. And he falls, despite his pos- his position in the cult in their city, and puts himself at Jesus' feet. And this woman, desperate also. And we're beginning to see that they're flavoring each other. Two different ways of getting to Jesus, but both of them got there. So this woman. F- she feels healed and she can tell that her suffering is ending and jesus realized the power has gone around he turned around in the crowd and asked who touched my clothes well that's a silly question he's got 50 80 100 people all around him everybody's touching your clothes what are you talking about who touched your clothes that's what jesus closest associates who are there with him his senior leaders who are on this trip with him who touched my clothes You see the people crowding around you, his disciples, meaning those closest to him, the ones ones James, Peter, and John. And what do you mean who touched your clothes? All kind of people touched you. But Jesus keeps on. He kept looking to see who it was. He knew something had happened. The woman, knowing what had happened to her, she takes another daring step of being a Jesus follower. Call her a disciple. A follower of Jesus. It's just that simple. Regular people taking the next step, whatever it is. She takes a daring step. Knowing what had happened to her, she came, she falls at his feet. Jairus falls at his feet, trembling. Woman falling at his feet, trembling. Remember, her whole plan was to get in, get it, and get out. She did not want any exposure. Trembling with fear, she tells Jesus the whole story. The opposite of what she went in to do. A couple of things I want you to realize about this. The most important one is this. She told Jesus the whole story. Guess what that means? He listened. You want to know what Jesus does? He listens to us, to our whole story. One of the most aggravating things about runners, I'm a retired runner. I had to retire. I didn't want to retire, but I retired. One of the most aggravating things about runners is you get four or five of us together, and you know what we do? We talk about our injuries. We just go on and on and on, and I got that. My knee started biting me, and I got this att- it right here. It's the attachment. It's not really my hammy and I've rolled it, and I did the phone, cook, and I went to see Michael, and he put all this stuff on me, in a plantar fasciitis. I said, what would you roll? I have ice, and I roll a golf ball, and we go on and on and on and on, and we're boring, except we love it, especially when you're listening to me talk about my injuries and what I did to get over them. But Jesus listened, her whole story. She was 12 years miserable physically and then became miserable socially, spiritually, religiously. He heard the whole thing. Don't, don't let that not catch your attention. So here, here's what we want to understand about this. Jesus is not putting on a magic show. Jesus is not like wanting to just provide some kind of one-man emergency drop-in clinic. That's not what's going on here. He wants to engage. He wants to be intimate with you and with me. He wants to hear our whole story. And meanwhile, notice what he's doing. She did all she could do was just get in his presence. He does the heavy lifting. He heals her. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. In Greek, the word daughter, thugator, only time it's used in the New Testament. Warm, passion, a father addressing one of his children. And oh, do you think she felt it? He looked her right in the eye and with deep warmth speaks to her with love and compassion. And then he says to her, your faith has healed you. Now, let me also suggest we think together a little bit about what that might mean. Your faith has healed you. Well, Jesus healed her. She didn't heal herself. And so are we saying that faith is um, quantitative and because she had enough? I don't think that's what's going on here. I think somehow Jairus got to Jesus the best way he knew how, and she gets to Jesus the best way she knows how, and somehow it's her faith is a channel or a conduit. And it's not about having enough. Don't put that on yourself. Just get near him and let him go to work. Because Jesus does the heavy lifting, not you and me. And so somehow, because his power was able to go into her and heal her and make her full, and she simply had enough faith to want to be in his presence. We know nothing about what she believed. It's what Mark doesn't tell us. You know why? Because Mark wants you to know that Jesus is the mighty Messiah and God is at work, his kingdom is breaking in. Can you see the bacon juice dripping back through the butter and everything else in that sandwich? Can you see it? It's all coming together in here. Mark wants you and me to know that our response as daring disciples, wherever we are, if we're like Jairus and we run straight to him, or if we're like this woman and we try to do an end run, either way, Jesus is not a magician. He wants to heal us and he will heal us. And what he wants is for us to come near. And that's what both of them have done. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from her suffering. Just a reminder, her suffering was way, way deeper and way more profound than just physical pain, which in itself is hard enough. He restored her to the community. He gave her back her relationships. He gave her back the ability to be in worship. He gave her back the ability to work to be in town, to go shopping. He put her life back together again in fullness, including physical healing. Well, While that's happening, Jesus is talking to her and some people came from the house of Jairus. Remember him, the synagogue leader. Your daughter's dead. She didn't make it. Don't even bother the teacher, Jesus, anymore. Overhearing that Jesus looks at Jairus and says, don't be afraid, just believe. It says here, don't be afraid, just believe. What else was Jairus going to be? He's numb. Of course he's afraid. How hard would that be to hear that? Be hard for you, be hard for me. Jairus is being asked to see beyond his circumstances and what they will or will not allow. And he's asked to say, I can't see it but I'm going to trust you. Believe. So what Jesus is saying to him is, belief is not here giving intellectual assent to something, saying, I I believe in certain ideas. It's that, but it's way more than that. It means trusting somebody. It means investing relationally. When Jesus says, believe in me, he means invest relationally in me. Of course, it means believing certain ideas about him, but it's way more than that. Way fuller than that. And so Jesus is saying, Jairus, I realize that they're telling you your daughter is dead. And if you want to let that be as far as you can see, okay, but trust me, I'm going to bring you through your fear to faith. He's already brought this suffering woman through her fear to faith, and now he wants to finish the job. So now we're, by the way, we're underneath on that bottom piece of, of Cuban bread. We're back to Jairus. Jairus, woman, Jairus. And that's where we are. And you can, feel, you can see that Messiah and kingdom, all of it's mingling through. And you take a big bite of this. And your job and my job is to say, will I be courageous, daring, take the risk to go in the next step of getting as close as I can to Jesus by whatever method, straight at him, around the corner, or anything in between. That's what we're being asked to do in this Mark sandwich today. Jesus asks, As he gets there, there's people. um, They came to the home of the synagogue leader. Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. Just all that means is these folks immediately began the formal grieving process that was a part of their culture. Even Mark uh, Matthew tells us somebody playing a a wind instrument, a flute maybe. So the funeral had begun. We have you know what we have. We have visitations and, and burials and all that kind of stuff. This has happened here. They've started all of that. That's what's happening. You can hear it from a distance. While this commotion is wailing, and then Jesus says this next, the child isn't dead, but asleep. And then this really odd next line, people laughed at him. I'm wondering, really? You laughed at him? Are y'all not getting it? But maybe it was nervous laughter maybe it was somebody it stirred the fear in the people who were watching all this take place cuz they they were having trouble also getting past the circumstances to believing in him i don't know who was laughing did jairus laugh who knows we're not told but i'm going to take it as an as as you and i are being invited to be our, our real selves with him if you're nervous taking a step of faith Makes you almost want to laugh to say, "Oh yeah, I be- I'm believing you, Jesus. I'm going to look past my circumstances." Welcome aboard. It's a part of what it means to be a Jesus follower. However, we get there, they laugh at him, but he puts him. He says, "Okay, only a few are going to go." He puts them all out, and he takes the child's father, Jairus, the mother, himself, and the disciples who are with him, and he goes in where the child was. At Peter, James, John, Jesus, Jairus, Jairus' mother, they go into the girl's bedroom, I presume. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Ka'um. So what we have here is Aramaic. That's the language that those folks would have spoken. These regular ordinary Jewish people in ordinary life, they spoke this language called Aramaic. It's close to Hebrew, but it's not Hebrew. And that was their language. And so that's the, this, these words mean literally, little girl, get up. But this is even better. The word Talitha really means lamb, L-A-M-B. And what Jesus is saying with affection and warmth is, my little girl. Like, even in English, a pun. My little kid, get up. Deep affection, not unlike the affection that when Jesus puts his arm on Jairus' shoulder and walks into the house with him. Not unlike his affection calling the woman his daughter. And now he says it, a little girl. And she gets up. She stands up, begins to walk around, and she's 12 years old. 12. How long had the woman been suffering? Twelve. And what Mark is saying as the juices of the sandwich go back and forth is, it felt like a lifetime to this dear woman. And it was the girl's whole life. And yet Jesus comes in, and he's moving all of these people from their fear, from their trembling, from their numbness, to faith. And here's how that, this episode ends. At this, they were completely astonished. Of course they were. He gives them strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Well, it's too late to give people orders. He put a gag order on it. It wouldn't work. Everybody in the whole town knew the girl was dead, and now everybody in the whole town knows she's not dead anymore. So why would Jesus tell people not to talk about it? I'm going to suggest two reasons. One is corporate. The religious leaders back in Jerusalem, I'm pointing this way because it would have been south. They did not want to hear anything about this Messiah movement taking place and him doing great acts. They didn't want to hear any of that. So Jesus doesn't want them to snuff him out. Jesus is choosing to go to this cross, but he's not ready yet to be executed. So he doesn't want them to come get him and try to execute him too soon. He knows exactly. Jesus is not a victim, friends. Absolutely not. Jesus walked straight into this on purpose. The other reason I think he told him to keep a lid on it is because of the Romans. And he did not want the Romans to hear that there was this Messiah dude who had the power to bring people back to life again. The very first thing Rome was going to do if they felt challenged like with something like that, rub you out. So he just, he wasn't ready yet. He knows exactly what's going to happen to him. And you might be saying, well, there are plenty of people in that community probably grieving recently dead relatives. Why didn't he heal them all? Why didn't Jesus just heal everybody who was in trouble? And I'd suggest this. These are signposts about what's coming in the future. These are signposts, and they're important, but they're not the destination. The destination is the cross and the resurrection. And what Jesus is going to do, which a a person healed of bleeding and a little girl who was dead and is alive again, that gives us a, a quick look, a peek into the future And what's going to happen is this, God is going to end Jesus Christ, take care of the most important enemy out there, and that's death itself and evil. Jesus is going to eliminate evil and death in the cross, and so these people who are healed, that's the way it's going to be like for everybody forever once God finishes his work, and we just get little glimpses ahead of time, sneak peek, movie trailers. And so that's, I think, how we want to think about why doesn't God heal my mother? Why is God letting my wife have cancer? Why do these people refuse to accept Jesus and begin a new life? Why is my friend so cold in his or her heart to the good news? And we don't have the full answer for that, but we know how it works out. And I think that's what Mark wants us to know by the time we finish reading. We know how it it ends. But he wants you to have the tension inside you waiting for the cross and the resurrection, knowing that that really is what deals with everything. Guess what happened to Jairus' daughter, who was 12 when she was healed? Later on, she died. And guess what happened to that woman who was bleeding later on? She was healed, but then again, she died. But guess what? Jesus conquered death. And there's a resurrection coming for all of us who are Jesus followers. And that's the story that Mark is trying to tell us. Jairus' story, the woman's story, both of these stories are about faith and they're about fear. And guess what else they're about? They're about the power of Jesus to take our faith and our and, um, our our fear and turn it into faith. And it doesn't matter what way you get there, Jesus followers. It doesn't matter if you go straight at him, if you go around the end if everything in between. My guess is that your experience as a person of faith is you have a little of all of that in you. Sometimes you just can't see past the circumstances and you want to sneak up and all you can see is just what circumstances allow. But you sneak up on Jesus and the next thing you know there's something new and bigger out there for you. Sometimes you run straight at him and you just go, help me! And everything in between. You know what? He just wants you to come. He's waiting. He just wants you and me to come to him. Attach. Stay close. Be near him. And so I want to finish by get, making two or three suggestions to you about how you do that. The first is I want you to keep reading Mark. And so here, if you wanted to get your phone out and take a picture of it, it's also on the website. You got it on the email. We just want you to read Mark. So here it comes. For next Sunday, between now and then, I want you to read Mark chapter 6, verse 7, to through chapter 8, verse 26. And then notice at the bottom, you'll see the actual few verses that we're going to talk about in here. So you could read those four or five or six times. Read it, and this is why, because it's one of the ways you get to Jesus. And if you're trembling reading it because you just doesn't make any sense, that's okay. It'll, the more you read it, the more you'll grow to understand it. If, it. if you say, I can't read the Bible, it makes no sense, I understand. Just go anyway, take the risk to read it, write notes, ask somebody you know who reads their Bible at what they think, engage. The other thing I want to ask you to do is this, I want to ask you to fast. So I've been talking about a breakfast sandwich, and now I realize the irony of me and now talking to you about fasting. And I'm, I, think, I think fasting is hard, especially when I'm talking about an early riser. But not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, which is the first Wednesday in October, you're gonna get an email from Kathy asking you to fast. And why? It'll have some suggestions in there, but here's why. It's like running to Jesus. When you have circumstances and you just let him work you over, fasting puts you in his presence. And it will always help you to connect with Jesus if you'll do it and do it and do it and do it. I promise you. Take a big bite out of this sandwich. Let all of the mighty Messiah and the kingdom of God and the, the challenge to be daring and take a risk. Let that be the what you're chewing on right now, what you're digesting as we finish this time together in this room and I'm gonna pray for us right now gracious God we thank you that you love us we thank you that we can come to you any way we are and you really really don't care if we come straight at you if we run around the corner if we're trying to sneak in and out you don't care you want intimacy with us you want to heal us you want to make us into new people you're doing the heavy lifting our job is simply to get ourselves into your presence And that, for many of us, much of the time is kind of risky. Half the time, we don't have any idea what we're doing. We're confused. And a lot of the times, we just can't see past the difficulty to believe you. Help us, like Jairus, to drop our fear as we hang on to you and walk with you into the circumstances, trusting that you're going to repair us, make us whole, And we thank you, gracious God, that we already know that you've conquered death and that all of this happens for us under the comforting presence of the resurrection. So we thank you, gracious God. We thank you that we can be your people. We thank you that we can love people well and be loved well because Jesus did it first. In his name, amen. Friends, what's going to happen right now is... Um, we're going to be invited to leave by the ushers. So they're going to come in. So I want to invite you to stand and remembering that the ushers will dismiss you in the order that they do. So let me encourage you with this last word, if I could. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave here asking Jesus Christ to turn your fear into faith. I promise you, he will show up and he will do it. Amen.